Welcome to the Blackout Show, presented by the Guillen Grader, a show about the Chicago White Sox baseball, the good, the bad, the ugly. We'll debate what's working and what's not on the south side of Chicago. It's old school versus new school baseball. And most importantly, we're keeping all the receipts. Welcome into the Blackout Show for Chris Gonzalez, for Ozzy Guillen Jr., for Jay Targaryen, Justin Lee. I am Slavko Bekovic. Thank you for joining us. Before we uh, get into the nitty-gritty, Sox right now uh, up 2 nothing against the Dodgers on ESPN, a national game. We're just going to bring in uh, your mom's favorite player, your wife's favorite player, your girlfriend's favorite player. Uh, it's Scott Podsednik joining us for this edition of the Blackout Show. Scotty Pods, thanks for joining us, man. Is he on mute? Not anymore. I am. You're good. You're good. Queen, right about now. Uh, yeah, it's a late night for you uh, down in Texas. <laughs> yes. Usually, you, you watching this game? This hour. <laughs> uh, well, the most important thing that we need to know is how you shot on the golf course this morning. Slav, it's starting to come around. It's starting to come around. I was uh, right around a 79 today. Uh, it's an easy course. I I know it. We have played with a buddy quite a bit. So uh, I struck it okay, put it decently. So I'm seeing light. I'm seeing the light. We thought for a little bit that the we, we were seeing a little light for the White Sox team, but a rough uh, rough series against the Marlins. I know you were in town covering that game uh, for NBC Sports, doing pre and post game. Um, an interesting series, kind of a letdown by the bullpen. You know, you thought the Sox had some momentum. Uh, just big picture, where do you see this this White Sox team standing right now? Uh, over the last three weeks, they've been playing better baseball up until um, a couple of late inning mistakes in that last series. But um, I think as a whole, starting pitching has been a little bit better. Uh, the bullpen has turned things around. Graveman, Kelly, they've been throwing the ball up to their capabilities uh, I do think there's room for improvement on the offensive side of the baseball. Um, I think they're for, gosh, for a few games, the only runs they scored were by the home run. I'd like to see them, their situational hitting improve a little bit. Um, I'd like to see more walks. Their chase percentage, I think, Slob, is still one of the worst in the league. They swing at so many pitches outside of the strike zone. I think one of the most fundamental things of hitting is swinging at pitches inside the zone. If you're not, it's going to hurt you multiple ways. One, you're not going to get on by the walk. Two, you're just not going to be able to do damage. I mean, you can't 
you go look at ESPN every night and the home runs are hit in the middle of the plate. And that's where all your damage comes. And you just can't do anything if you're swinging at pitches outside of the zone. So I'd like to see that clean up a little bit. Uh, they've been catching the baseball. Defense has has been well over the past couple of weeks. So um, that's right when everyone was, uh, was, was coming together healthy. But then, you know, we had uh, Aloy go down. So, um, you know, I'm tired of talking about the health and in the injuries but this group needs to stay together for an extended period of time to see what we have so they can try to you know build some some chemistry some continuity everybody has a defined role so they know what's expected of them and they can go out and try to have try to show some consistency so you mentioned the starting pitching the pitching in general has been much better of late the one guy who's kind of at the back of the of the group and he's just not been able to figure it out is Lance Lynn another rough first inning last night against the Dodgers do you remember in your playing career playing against a guy or with a guy who struggled so badly like Lance Lynn has I think his ERA in the first inning this year is almost 11. Ooh, <laughs> I, I can't recall and it and it it doesn't make much sense for a guy like Lance Lynn um, a veteran he's been around um, he knows how to get himself prepared. Um, it, it, it's one of those things I can't wrap can't wrap my head around. Slav um, just can't seem seem to. I don't know if it's a feel thing. I don't know. Um, you know, if his pitches, if he's not completely loose, I, I don't know. But the first inning is killing him. Um, you know, you you take the numbers um, he's put forth after the first inning, and he, he's been more than solid. So. Um, the guy knows what he has to do. I'm sure he's working tirelessly to try to get a hold of it, but the Sox are going to need him down the stretch to throw better than he is right now. Yeah. Uh, Scott, I'm just, not, I'm not going to lie right now. I remember staying up all night as a 13 year old when y'all brought a championship home. Um, I was that uh, really happy when you got named to the all-star game in 05. It was kind of strange because statistically you were better for the Brewers previously. Then you come to the Sox and you hit less home runs. You steal about 15 less bases. What was the key for you in regards to less is more going from 04 bad team Brewers going to the 05? I had Champions. a good rookie year in 03. And then I show up my second year and I said to myself, if I can put forth that rookie year, I think I hit 314, uh, scored 100 runs. I think I stole 43 bases. I said, if I can do that as a rookie, then my second year, I should be able to do more. <laughs> right? <laughs> Which was just, Baseball's was, easy. <laughs> right, right. So, um I heard that, you know, they were going to try to make adjustments, start pitching me in a little bit. And I said, okay, well, I'll counter that. And I started trying to pull the baseball. And uh, I did hit, I think, 12 home runs that second year, but I hit 245. My average dipped significantly. Mm -hmm. I did steal 70 bases, but I just was not the offensive player I was the year before. I come over to the White Sox. I meet with Greg Walker, our hitting coach, and he says, you got to find left field again. I got pull happy. Um, I was rolling over everything, and uh, I needed to find the center part of the field and the opposite part. I uh, started working with uh, Gale, Mike Gellinger and Greg Walker, and I kind of found my stroke, got back 
I, I wasn't worried about driving the baseball. Um, I just tried to reach base, tried to get myself in a scoring position, and uh, had a little bit better year than I did in 04. I think I hit around 290 in 05. Um, no home runs in the regular season, but mm-hmm. um, that was kind of my approach. I, I was I was doing everything I can to reach base and then to get myself into scoring position. Fortunately, that ended up working for that lineup we had. Oh, yeah. Uh, Gonzo's muted. Gonzo. He's so, he gets so nervous around famous people. <laughs> Fods, we appreciate you being with us on the show. You, you um, bet. You bet. Thanks for having me. I want to ask you, who was the toughest pitcher to go up against and also the most difficult to run on as a base runner? The, the guy that pops into my mind was Randy Johnson. I was hitting from the left side, and um, I had problems with Randy Johnson. Uh, he was an intimidated figure out there on the mound, and I don't know. I think I, I did get one hit. It might have been a triple against him, but I just had no shot on Randy Johnson. I, he would throw that slider. It looked like a fastball and I just couldn't do anything with him. Uh, in terms of moves to first base, the guy that stat stands out was Andy Pettit. Mm-hmm. He had a really good move to first base. Uh, you really had to adjust what you were going to do. And I really couldn't find a key. Um, I, it wasn't about reading him. I was just going to try to pick a spot, risk it, and hope he was going home because I was going first move on Andy Pettit. You can't read him. He was just so fine and so good that um, I would just try and pick a spot and, and hope I was right. Junior's got a question for you. No, no, you no, never no. know so, where he's going to go. You never know where he's going to go. No, no, no. So I'm, I'm actually was looking up some things because I, my statement, I wanted to make it right because it's off of what Jay's saying. And I'm going to ask him because it's based on this team. So Scotty Pods, when he was with Milwaukee, uh, that was a net Yost team that won like less than 70 games. They weren't very good. No. So Scott was just like playing. I, I think when it comes to the Sox, it's expected for him to win. And there's kind of more of a, of a change on the, like they're asking him not to just be a freelancer, but now he's got to be a part of this court. How much different is it for a player's career to play in a team that's going in and expecting to win every day like this team is now than playing when there's no expectations? Yeah. That's a good question. And my mindset in 05 was totally different than it was in 03 and 04. I was still relatively young. It was my first year in the big leagues in 03. Ozzy, I I didn't know what I was doing, really. I mean, I I was so excited to be in the big leagues. You know, I, I grinded nine years in the minor leagues before I finally broke in. So I find myself in the big leagues. Um, and I, I told myself I'm going to try to do everything I can to stay here. Um, I, I was still raw. I, I still didn't know exactly who I was as a player. I didn't. I knew my skill set, but I, but I just wasn't a polished player. Uh, by the time I got over to the Sox in 05, I somewhat understood who I was as a player and how I could most benefit a club. And um, Coming over, I remember Kenny Williams talking to me, said, hey, you know, and walk for that matter about my offensive approach, said, hey, we just need you on base. You just, you you find your way to first base. Um, you're going to have the green light. You try to get yourself in a scoring position, and, um, and we're going to be okay. And I remember 
putting a little bit of pressure on myself because Ozzy wanted Ozzy was wanting to change the offensive attack a little bit. I think the year prior, gosh, they they just mashed the the ball out of the ballpark to, and really didn't didn't gain anything from it. So he wanted to get back to a to a small, you know, we call it smaller ball, but just just playing baseball, moving runners, situational hitting, uh, stealing a base every now and then, getting guys over. So I remember putting some pressure on myself saying, hey, this they're bringing you over here to be a, a piece to get this thing going. Um, but uh, I embraced it. We, we had a good had a Gucci hitting behind me. Uh, we had a good group of guys and we just hit the hit the ground running in spring training. We we had no idea what this lineup was going to be like together. You know, we AJ was new. Tadahito was new. Uh, Jermaine Dye was new so we had no idea how it was going to work out but after you know a few weeks to a month we kind of we felt like we had something there by the way uh, the resiliency we showed by the way you know we could go out and get our tails kicked one night but then show up to the ballpark the next day completely flush it and then come back with a new mindset and uh, and Ozzy had had a lot to do with that I remember one of our first losses um, you know we all the TVs are off and music is off. Everybody's kind of somber. He comes out and says, what the hell are y'all doing? Y'all think we're going to win every baseball game? He cranked up the music, you know, kind of pumped some life. And, and that was just kind of the way we went about it. That's not how all clubs did it. That's not how we did it in Milwaukee. But that that particular style happened to work for that group of guys we had in there. Yeah. Uh, Slav, I want to go back to TA for a second because you two, you guys are two very different leadoff hitters, but I personally mm -hmm. think TA. <laughs> you just called is... Pod Slav. I was not a leadoff hitter. You sure? Yeah, I'm 100% sure. Uh, uh, Pod, uh, you were you were the more patient guy at, mm -hmm. at the one spot. You worked the count. TA still haven't uh, had the opportunity to find that role within right. himself. What do you think it's going to take? Is it some you know, something he has to work on individually? Is it something that comes throughout, you know, trial and error in time? What's it going to take for him to get that concrete approach like you had? Yeah, I think, you know, there's no one right or wrong way to lead off a baseball game. I think what a player has to do is take a look in the mirror, look at, at his own skill set, look at his strengths, his, his weaknesses, what he's good at, how he's best going to affect the ball club, and I finally realized that, you know, I'm not going to hit the ball out of the ballpark. I'm going to have to get on base, use my legs to get myself into scoring position. Um, you know, I felt like taking pitches and trying to, to get that guy to throw as many pitches early in the ball game to show the guys behind me what he has. I thought there was value in that. So I was I was going to go up and just try to be a pesky hitter, try to see as many pitches as I, as I can with the intent of doing everything I could to reach base. Now, there were times when I'm going up, you know, your Greg Maddox's and your guys that are around the plate. I swung at, at the first pitch occasionally, but that was my plan. I mean, I, I looked at who I was facing and I might feel like, hey, I'm, I'm going to have to get after him and attack early. Um and everybody's different, and personality plays a role in that. Um, Tim has the ability to hit the ball out of the ballpark a lot more than I had. So, you know, him swinging early and being a little more aggressive, sometimes when you take the aggressiveness away from a hitter, you kind of you, you take 
take away some of his strengths. So I think yeah. Tim's going to continue to learn how he's going to best suit a ball club. And, and who knows, he, he, you know, he may find himself hitting two, three or four or somewhere else in the lineup. Um, but you bring up an interesting point because it's the leadoff spot is different than it was 15 years ago. Absolutely. Uh, and I don't see too many guys going up working counts and, uh, and, and trying to, to get to first base any way they can. There's, there's guys that are hacking in that, in that first spot. These, these days, Joey Gallo is leading off these days. Pop. <laughs> right. Yes. It's, it's interesting, but you know, the thought was, Hey, get these guys as many swings as they can and, and see how many they can pop out of the ballpark. Pause. When you see TA struggling, like he has been, you know, really for basically the last like calendar year, even before he got hurt last year, um, we, we know, you know, there's off the field stuff that he's dealing with. Um, and unfortunately for him stuff with social media and TMZ and all that, it all becomes very public mm -hmm. and it's very tough. I'm sure for him to have to answer some of those questions and deal with that very publicly while also still trying to be a good teammate and a good baseball player. And, you know, he puts pressure on himself to be the guy who leads this team on the field, maybe not in the clubhouse or the vocal leader, but we all know if TA is playing well, then the White Sox are probably playing pretty well. How difficult do you think it is for him in this situation currently? He doesn't seem to be, everyone handles struggles differently. Everyone handles adversity differently, but it seems to be almost snowballing for him. And how, how, how difficult is it, you know, in the public eye to be having these off the field things are you able to separate those on the field or once you get into the ballpark? You know, he said on, on the podcast, he was on the pivot with Ryan Clark and a few former NFL guys and basically said, you know, like that's his happy place. And he's able to go, you know, to to work, so to speak, go to the ballpark and kind of forget about that stuff. But it certainly doesn't seem like he's the same kind of loose free. Um, and it's it's hard to be loose and free when you're not hitting 320 like he's accustomed to. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, Timmy doesn't look like he's in a, a real good place right now, meaning he, it doesn't look like he's having fun. Um, two or three years ago, he was playing the game with an edge. Um, he was electric. Uh, and, and it was, it, it was the, the rest of the club was feeding off of that. Um, something's bothering him, whether it's, um, you know, whether he's taking what has happened to him off the field to the field, or he's just not accustomed to hitting, <laughs> hitting 250. Yeah. He's such a good hitter. Um, but yeah, it, it, this isn't the same Tim Anderson we we saw a couple of years ago. Um, the, the, the Sox need TA to get going. Um, I mean, I remember talking, or in, in you and I talking about the splits um, when when TA gets on, or when he steals a base, or or when he has one or two hits, the numbers were just lopsided. And it was, you know, if, if he if he drove that ball to right field to lead off a game, you almost just automatically knew he was going to score that first inning and provide life. Um, I, I went through a divorce after my career, and I'll tell you, it was one of the toughest things that I had ever been through. Um, I, I can't imagine me going to the park um, and having to play through all of that. 
it's got to be tough, especially now with social media and all the distractions, the, the technology is for you out there. Uh, it has to be managed, but um, all Tim can do now is, 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 um, is understand where he is and try to make the best choices he can moving forward. He, he, he can't change anything now. All he can do is, is, uh, is make the right choices and, and try to go out and, and handle his business on and off the field. Hey, Pods, I know you and Chuck on NBC to start the season discuss the new rule changes and how that's going to affect with the pitch clock and everything with the base runners. But now that we're 58 games into the season, have you had a change of perspective or want to highlight anything in particular um, to the new approach of the game or the lack of base running, really? I love the new changes. I think the tempo and the pace of the games has been great. Um, man, Chris, I'd have been licking my chops with those with those bigger bases back in the day, and then the uh, the two step offs from pitchers. But uh, stolen bases are up, aren't they? Significantly from last year. I haven't looked as of late, but I but I think guys are running much more than they are. Um, it's tough to gauge it just because I know that A's guy has got he's got so many Ruiz. I think he has so many stolen bases. Just in he himself. got thirty four. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean. It can it can be a weapon, you know. Uh, I would like to see the White Sox running more, um, especially now that the offense hasn't hasn't been clicking. But but you have to have guys that that can steal bases. But I do think the White Sox have some guys that run well enough uh, to steal bases. Benintendi, I think he leads the team right now. He can steal a base. Timmy only he's got what five or six. Uh, Luis Roberts has what three or four. Four, yeah. Four, the, yeah. The team Mankata. leader with the White Sox is, I think, Andrus and, and uh, Ben Tendi have seven. As a team, they're like 86%. I think they're second in baseball. Mm -hmm. So they should be running more, but they're like 21st in total stolen bases. So there's, there's clearly a disconnect. Yeah, and the on-base percentage isn't probably as high as it would be. They don't walk. You know, they, they're they, – they swing at a lot of first pitches, a lot of quick outs, um, and, they, and they, I think they're among kind of the bottom tier when it comes to walks. Um, that, so the, the on-base percentage needs needs to improve. Like I mentioned earlier, most of their runs were coming by the home run. Um, and when you're not putting guys on with the walk, you know, it's just going to be tough to string, especially with these guys now with some of these arms, it's going to be tough to string three, four, five hits together in an inning. It just seems like even Grafal is just trying to take more advantage of his aggressiveness later in the games than early on. Um, is that what you've seen too, or with the inconsistencies as well? Like, I, I guess it is hard to deal with that as a manager um, with, with how the team's facing their inconsistencies. Yeah, you, you just you, you got to kind of see, you know, where you are, who's on the mound. I mean, every situation is different depending on who's behind the plate, who's, who's in the batter's box, who's on the mound, but – um, given the right situation in a tight ball game, um, I, I have no problem with having a guy take a risk to try to get himself in scoring position. Obviously, you do all your homework. You know, you try to try to prepare as much as you can. Um, you know, what, what how the guy's moving, times to home plate, things of that sort. But you know, if you do your preparation, get out there and let it fly and take a risk. Why not? Scott, I got to ask you a question because a lot of people always ask me this and I, and I, and I honestly don't know because I could care less back then about the sort of thing. 
did you have a sign when you were going to steal? Did they even give you a sign? Did Joy at that time was, yeah, it was Joy. Joy was a third base coach when you got there. Did you have a sign to steal or did you have go whenever you want to go, Pods? I had, yeah, I had the green light, um, but Joey would, uh, he, he could stop me. So like okay. on 3-1, if I wanted to go, or uh, let's say 2-0 or 2-1, if Ozzy didn't want me running, Joe Pora would, would give me a sign, whatever it may may be, like we're not running that pitch. But then after that pitch, green light again, unless he unless I get that sign. So um, – because I've asked Moncada that, for example. I've asked Moncada straight up, does Griffo give you the green light? Because you need to go take – just go get caught stealing. Mm-hmm. Because in spring training, they ran more than they did during the regular season. So I don't. I know some managers like to give the steal sign. Others want to control the running game. Right. So, And I did not know. I didn't. Someone asked me, said, well, what did Ozzy do? And I said, I'm, I don't know. I really don't know. So I'll, I'll ask Scotty Potts because he said he's the number one runner they ever had. So – that's probably what they went with. So that's a now we know the truth. Yeah, green line. Green but if he didn't want me to run that pitch, it was usually at that time. I remember it was a belt. I think if if he went to his belt, not running that pitch. But he has to give me the belt the next pitch to shut me down as well. So it was just that pitch. Oh, how simple a belt. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so the the year before, so in 04, I stole seven bases. But I still didn't completely understand the impact I could make on a club. I remember it was we we're about three or four, three or four weeks into the 05 season. And I remember I got on by walk or a base hit, and catcher called time to walk out to talk to the pitcher. And I'd already been running. I I stole quite a few bases. And this light bulb went off. I'm standing over there with Tim Raines, and this light bulb went off in my head. And I said, you know what? This is what you're here to do. You're here to get in his head. You're here to change the tempo of the game. You're here to sway his attention. So Aguchi can get pitches to hit. So Canerco can get pitches to hit. So I, I realized and learned that I didn't necessarily have to steal a base to, to, uh, to impact the game. I could be over there and just the threat of me running – and get that guy thinking about me, um, I could have a, an impact on the ball game. Um, and in the at that time, the American League Central, I don't think, had a, a big base stealer um, the previous few years. So I think it just – the timing was great for all of us. I think we caught the American League Central by, by surprise. And I love the fact – I'm going I'm to say this because being on the dugout, whenever the team was behind or they needed something and the offense – Scott got on base – guys were like, okay, like, this is now, like, they were like, okay, we're ready. Like, this is, that's this, is like our, our, this, is, this, this is our sign. Like, this is our sign. Like, we, we, we have hope. So, I, I and, and that's great because I really believe that. I really believe the threat, and I, and I really wanted this team with the, with the rule change because the number one threat, I think, of any base runner is the ability that they think that you're going to run so that they start changing their whole game plan. And that's, like, from, like, Little League, to like the big leagues. And when you don't run, that's not in the scouting report. So the scouting report for you was always like, he's going to go at any, you know, in any given moment. Yes. So I think that, that, that definitely, and, and people don't realize when the White Sox started struggling, if you look at Scotty's injuries or when he was out, it was very correlated to that because that transition was, you know, because that was the catalyst of, of, of the success that had, that, that had been built. And again, that's the pressure on 
you know, when you have someone, someone like that. So that's awesome though. I wanted to yeah. get, ask the question. And after we kind of found our identity offensively, um, which, which, you know, we were, we had professional hitters, Jermaine, Canerico. I mean, they were, if there was a guy on second, nobody out, they're trying to drive the ball the other way. And, and look, we could hit the ball out of the ballpark, but I mean, I, I remember when I would steal a base, the, the fans loved it and they were energetic. And I just, I remember, um, you know, when I got on and stole a base, I, I just felt something. I felt the offense just come alive a little bit. And I, just what you talked about, you, you could feel it. It became a thing. Hey, setting on like we're going we're, we're going to score at started calling me one nothing and i love it <laughs> i got on first and, and you know the plan was still a base have a gucci get me over there and then sack fly we're up one to nothing in the first inning and that was kind of our thing and um and and i i felt it as well and i embraced that i mean i my my whole mindset was trying to to be the igniter try to be the energy and try to get the offense going um, that was what I showed up to the ballpark each and every night to do, try to reach base that first inning, steal a base and provide energy because, you know, when, when the fans, when the fans get going, the, the players love it. When there's energy in the ballpark, the players love it. And I remember after I, at mid season, after I started, you know, I was stealing quite a bit. I'd get over there and after two or three pitches, there'd be a fan yelling, Sednik, let's go. What are you waiting on? And, and I love that. Everybody in the ballpark knew I was going. Pitcher knew I was going. Catcher knew I was going. That was part of our offense. And, and that's what worked for us. Brooks Boyer, thank God he didn't get a hold of that one. It would have been all over the place. It would have been. The billboards uh, on the Dan Ryan. Oh, for sure. Now, now they would have named him that before they, when they signed him, before his first run scored. They would have just named him that. One nothing. It was so great. It was so great. <laughs> uh, Pods, I want to talk about like turning three six three double plays, hitting behind a runner. You alluded that even though the the whole five team was great slugging, they did the little technical parts of baseball. Do you think, uh, even though we're in the infancy of Rafal's tenure, do you think we're headed in the right direction, getting back to those traditional? baseball, you know, cues and things. I think it's going to eventually swing back around. Um, the game got so home run heavy. That's what was incentivized. So that's what players started searching. You know, if you could hit 20, 25 homers, you can make yourself a good paycheck. You know, the launch angle became a thing. Everybody trying Ugh. started trying to, uh, to elevate the baseball. And I think we kind of got away from – from just what you mentioned from from situational hitting from from hitting behind runners when's the last time you've seen a hit and run um you know you don't see many bunts you know i've seen a few more bunts this year than i did a couple of years ago but i think the fans enjoy that style of baseball going first to third fans want to see athleticism on the baseball field and yeah. you know when we talk about that 05 team that's one of the things i remember um you know, Canerco was our horse, Jermaine Dye. If there was a guy on second base, nobody out, they're trying to drive the ball the other way. At the very least, they wanted to get that guy over. There was no ego. There was there was no selfishness. They were willing to do what was going to be best for that ball club that day. Um, 
And, you know, that was kind of our thing. We, we good starting pitching and we could pop one out of the ballpark, but we could, we were versatile. We could also manufacture one here or there. Yeah. And I know the big talk now, I had this, this conversation with Chris Getz a while back, you know, about giving up outs and, you know, about sacrifice bunting and things of that sort. Um, the thing now is 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 not giving up outs, but I, I still think that there's there's a way and a plan. Um, so TA, for example, guy on first, guy on second base, nobody out. He one of TA's strengths is hitting is driving the ball when he's well, is driving the ball the other way. So if I'm TA guy on second, nobody out, my sights are set the other way. I'm I'm trying to drive the ball to the right side of the field. At the very least, if I hit a ground ball to the second baseman, at the very least, I get that guy over, make a productive out. All we need is a sack fly. I think the White Sox right now are last in productive outs. Uh, they, they used to be towards the bottom in runners on third base, less than two outs. They're starting to move up slowly. They might be around 25th or so. But um, that's one of the things I'd like to see the Sox improve on is their situational hitting, hitting behind runners. Hell, throw in a hit and run every now and then. Just get some things moving, get some life, and get some energy moving a little bit. So we got a question here from Juan Diego. He's one of our most loyal uh, listeners, watchers, followers. So he's got a question, and it's along these same lines. You know, do you see a lack of of work or effort from the players? Bad fundamentals, hitting approach. You mentioned the productive outs. The strike zone, you know, you I don't know if you, you we said that off camera before the show started or or if this was during the interview, but you know, chasing pitches out of the zone or non-competitive pitches that the team is still doing. Three different coaching staffs, still a 500 ball club, and they're even well under 500 right now. So, what do you see, big picture? Is it a lack of effort, or is it maybe that this team is just not as talented as advertised? Yeah, that's a real good question, Slav. Um, there are times we do see a lack of effort and I compare it to other ball clubs. When the guardians come into town, they play hard. They run the bases. They're going to give you a hard 90. There are times when, you know, there are some guys on the socks that, that aren't busting it down the line. Um, and there, there are some guys that do. And, um, I remember the the Angels back in the day when they came into town. One of the first things we talked about is they're going to run the bases hard, and what that does is put puts pressure on the defense. As an outfielder, you have to charge the ball, you have to come and get it. You can't get lazy. And at, at sometimes, you know, if, I, I know some of these scouting reports say, "Hey, they they don't give you hard turns. The Sox don't. They're they're, they're happy with with the base hit." And they're not they're not rounding hard. So look, yes, there's times that there is a lack of effort. There is compared to the way some of the other clubs run run the bases. Um, there's at the end of the day, you know, you get 27 guys on a roster. There's some guys Slav that that like to we all like to win, right? Everybody likes to win, but there's some guys that need to win. They have to have it, they, 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 and they're willing to do anything to win. They're, they've got this competitive fire burning deep inside of them, and um, I, I wish 
the White Sox had a few more guys that just absolutely needed to win because um, at times we do see a little uh, lack of urgency with this ball club. So, uh, Fods, we got a question from my guy Vision. Uh, what was going through your mind, game two of the walk-off in the World Series? So so before going up to the at-bat or after I saw it leave leave the park? Give us the whole spiel. All the above. Give us the, give us the most detailed recollection that you have. Okay, so uh, I didn't know this until during COVID they replayed that game two. So before Canerco, I think it was the seventh inning, he hit that grand slam. I, I believe it was the seventh, sixth or seventh. Um, he was 0 for 4 or 0 for 3. He was hitless, and I was hitless. We were the only two Sox players that were hitless. So Canerco hits his grand slam, and now I'm the only remaining White Sox without a hit. So we get to the bottom of the ninth. Uh, Uribe flies out. I remember walking to the plate thinking, okay, look, just find a way to first base. Brad Lidge was on the mound. He was very slow to the plate. He was like a one, four, five to the plate. So my, my plan was to try to reach base any way I could. And then I was going first pitch. I was, I was running first pitch. Everybody was going to know I was running, but that's what I do. I'm going throw me out. That was my, that was my thought. So I get um, ball one, ball two. So I'm up in the count. 2-0. I step out of the box. I look over at Ozzy because I wanted to hack 2-0. <laughs> I look over at Ozzy and he's like, no, you take a pitch. So I took a fastball right down Broadway. And I step out and I said to myself, there's no, he was fastball slider. I said, there's no way he's going to throw you that slider 2-1. He does not want to walk you. He's going to come with a fastball. You look for that exact same fastball you just saw. And it was middle, middle. And I, I wasn't thinking home run. I was just trying to put an aggressive cut on a 2-1 fastball. And I barreled it. And it, it was cold, 45 degrees and cold. I, I got pretty much all of it. So I was curious, but I was thinking three. Right before I started around first base, I saw Tim Raines. <laughs> throw his hand up in the air. And I looked out to right center, saw it leave the ballpark. And fellas, I can't put into words and describe the feeling and what it was like from there. I, I let out this primal scream from, you know, as deep as it came. And I'm probably going to start choking up. I mean, I, I, I think about my dad uh, when I see that clip. I think about the nine-year grind uh, it took to get to the big leagues, um, all the operations and the surgeries and the and the the tireless work I put in. Um, it, it was all worth it. It was all worth it. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I can't even feel anything running. I'm thinking about what, <laughs> what just happened. So I round third and then, you know, you get bombarded by your teammates. And it's it was just mayhem from there and a feeling that I have never felt up to that point in competition and knew that I was never going to experience anything like that ever again. I, I got goosebumps listening that. to that. Dude, I'm going to be honest. I was obviously at the in the dugout, and, and even when they won in Houston, like obviously the team was up and you knew that you walked off, but 
that home, there were certain moments in that series where your heartbeat level of everyone just being like on like cloud nine, like you feel like everyone was just floating. And that was one of them. Like I, when people ask me like, oh, how was it? Like, I don't remember Pods running the bases. Like I remember him like just hitting and like coming in, but you, it's, you have to, like, you just can't feel it. Like it's just the energy that was there because as soon as he hit it, the other thing is as soon as he hit it, the bench knew it. Like, I think he knew it, and a couple of the guys on the bench knew it. I remember Rowan and, and B.A. were, like, right by me, and they knew it as soon as he hit it. So I'm, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it because it was it's just, like, one of those perfect – and even it, 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 because it was probably one of the only walk-offs that, that the team had, obviously, going in, and it was just magical. And, again, even if you win another World Series or you go oh, to that, those moments are not relived again because it's just that that amazing. No, and, and I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. It it um, <clears throat> it kind of messed with me after that year. I, I mean, because I knew I was never going to hit a bigger one ever. <laughs> I mean, that, that was it. I, that's the biggest hit I, I'm ever. I could ever. I, I started thinking. I said, "Well, at the time, let's see the the Cubs. They won it what in sixteen. 16 so they had yet to win one so it was bossy boston won it the year prior mm -hmm. so it was us the cubs in boston the three longest going franchises so boston won theirs in 04 we won ours so i was thinking you know the only way i could top that game two walk off was if i'm playing for the cubs Never. And, I hit, and i hit one in game seven jeez <laughs> that's the <laughs> So like what a low bar. <laughs> that's, as, that's as big as it gets, and it and it kind of messed with me for a while. It really did. I I was kind of you know at I'm not going to use the word depressed, but I was kind of like you know that's you're never going to do anything any bigger. So but I'm going to ask did you, you. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. no you go because you're going to stay on this topic. Because my next question is going to be completely not on this. Well, I, I so just, I, after that going into I felt like there was no way we were losing that series. No, no chance. We, we go into Houston. We have the off day the next day, and I'm still on cloud nine. I'm still thinking, like, what what happened? But there was a – I don't know if everybody else felt it, but I felt that there was no way we were losing that series after how game two ended. Did you ever get um, any shit from anyone because of the little fist bump between first and second, which was, like, very Kirk Gibson-esque? Has anyone ever mentioned that to you? No, but every time I – I mean, the hair on the back of my neck has been standing up throughout all of this. But every time I see that clip – and my kids watch it occasionally or every now and then. Um, man, it just it, – it never gets old. I know I say this all the time. <laughs> it doesn't. Trust me, I watch it sometimes lonely at night. I say the good like, – because, again, I think that – and it was such – this is the other part where I think that the description of – the, the definition of that team – Okay, of next guy stepping up and you going in with the mindset of I'm getting on base. Mm -hmm. Okay, like you're not going up to the bat saying I'm going to go deep. You're like, I'm getting on base. Bradley just slow to the plate. I'm getting on base like I'm sticking to my and then you being able to do that. And then the, the celebration that you have is compared to nowadays is, is so professional. Mm -hmm. You would have hit that now if unless you took your shirt off around in second. You would have not made the highlights on ESPN. <laughs> so it was so it was like a perfect combination of like that moment of saying like the description of like that team of what they represented, the guys, everyone on that team, and like everyone coming together. Um, because here's the part: people people think that every guy on that team was like 
best friends. I think they all respected each other and they all like protected each other on the field and everyone knew what somebody like someone could do. And I, I think Paz might be right. When Paz went deep on that, the, the, the confidence of going into Houston was like a complete different change. I don't think any time in that series they, they felt like, okay, we're going to win this. After that home run, it was like, okay, we're not coming back to Chicago. Like it's, I remember telling my friend, he was like, oh, I got tickets for you. I was like, it's not coming back. Like they're not coming back home. That's it. Like there's no more playing in, at, at the cell um, at the moment. But again, that's, a, that's, I think that when they did, I think one of the best things that they did, and I don't know what Ken, when, if Kenny looked into pods, um, but when you looked at the makeup of the guy that was coming over, of nine years in the minor leagues, of hardworking, of everything that had he had done to get to that point, they knew what they were getting. And one thing to, to Pod's credit, everything they ever asked him to do, he did. You know, when he came, you know, let's want practicing, let's get better at that, let's get better at stealing. Like he constantly put that work in. So I think that the makeup of obviously he had great numbers, but the makeup of the player was a great fit because that coaching staff uh, worked on guys a lot, which I don't think many fans know that how much hard work the players had to put in with Joey and, and Grip Walker. Um, probably the guy who put the less work in with the guys was Ozzy because he was more of the guy that was just kind of like the, the father figure, everything, but the work, these guys put in a lot of work. Mike Gellinger, I think doesn't get enough credit for that, that staff, like a lot of work in that cage with those guys and just, just constant grind. And if you don't have the right makeup, you don't have the right players. I never saw Pod say, Oh, I'm not hitting today. F that. Like I'm tired. You know, in all the years that he's the, the, the five years he was a White Sox. No, I, I agree with you, and and you have to have character guys that, we, like I mentioned earlier, there were no egos. Everybody was willing to come to the ballpark, work their tail off, and do what we had to do that night. We weren't the ta most talented club that year. We weren't, but we had the team had baseball sense they had a good baseball acumen they they knew what they knew their own skill set we knew what we were trying to do i had a role i stayed within it and i did my thing Gucci did his thing canerco did what he does and nobody tried to be somebody they weren't and and i, I just i remember a consistent lineup day in and day out you and your dad would put the the lineup up the night before so you knew if you were playing the day the day prior so i just remember a very solid lineup day in and day out there were you know a few guys here or there but now i'm seeing so many different lineups and guys moving um places but i mean we had a specific lineup every single night so guys knew exactly what was expected of them they knew their role gucci knew my game i knew a gucci's name uh game i understood when canerco wanted me to run when he didn't want me to run same with jermaine um, you know, there were times if I'm if, if Canerico's two one one out, I wanted to run, but if I'm reading this pitcher, if he's thinking about me, it's a good chance Canerico's going to get a get a fat fastball right here. So you know, so that was kind of our game. Like we had we had a, a plan of attack, and, and we stuck with it. Pods, um, I want to stay back. With this offseason, uh, we saw a lot of your former players being rumored into, you know, the managerial, you know, possibilities of opportunities to get an interview. And I was curious, was there anybody you played with that you feel would make a difference as a manager if they got the opportunity? To be completely honest with you, no. I, 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 <laughs> let me try. Um, 
Carl Everett. That's there you go. There you go. <laughs> well, no, because is he's I'm not I'm, I'm being completely honest, guys. He is 100 percent right. We just saw Willie Harris at the golf outing. I don't think it crossed anyone's mind when he was playing that Willie Harris even liked baseball as much as he did to to coach later or or or, uh, or Alex Intron. That's actually my next question that I was going to ask Pod because obviously Pods and Ozzy Senior work together, and I I. I I didn't know that Pods wanted to do baseball and be in broadcasting until he actually got into it. And he's really good. He's actually one of my favorite guys on TV, uh, on NBC, and in, in sports in general because of the way that he covers. But he's been able to see his knowledge of the game. And even when he was playing, he's very knowledgeable. He's not a guy that tells you, like, this is what you have to do. But when he drops the tidbits, they're like, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. Have you ever thought about coaching? In Like, if they, if they brought you in and said, hey, do we want you to coach? Will you – willing to put the uniform back on because it's not an easy thing obviously you got little kids the road life you're back like you were being a player did you think about coaching before I, you got into broadcasting would you get out i i did well, okay first on the broadcasting thing it it's crazy that i'm doing uh pre and post shows for <laughs> for nbc because i was the most introverted shyest kid of all time and even you know even up until about 15 years ago i was uh it, or through the minor leagues i was a very shy kind of reserved guy and part of kind of coming out was I, I was a leadoff hitter so I I was there to provide energy and and swag and play the game with swag it was one of Greg Walker and our things like swag like let's go like let's let your nuts hang out there let's go so I kind of came out of this shell to go to go be that guy that was going to provide energy but I never I never thought about doing television uh, they, Kevin Cross called on the Cub Sox series eight years ago and said, Hey, you want to come do Cub Sox series? I said, sure. So I came in and, and did three games and, you know, I didn't, I didn't know how it went, but he called the next off season and said, Hey, well, you know, we'll give you some games. And it kind of just happened from there. But, um, it, it's funny. I, I still think it's funny that I'm, I'm doing TV. Uh, but I enjoy the heck out of it. Um, I enjoy working with Chuck. Ozzy's a blast. Um, it keeps me connected to the game. It keeps me connected. Great producers. Chicago. I'm sorry. <laughs> great, great producers. No, no, no obviously. But Slav, Slav, I'm gonna, no, but Slav, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, and, and because you you're a professional in this, and I think people at NBC, and obviously we've we, we've been a part of like kind of trying to bring in talent and whatnot. But like when you see someone on TV, you know if they have it or not. And it's like the weirdest thing ever. And when I, like when they, when I saw you and like, you're there, you're doing it. I'm like, okay, like pods, pods gets it. Like pods, like we can work with like pods. Awesome. Like he can, he can get this. And you don't know until somebody's there because I've had people that I've had guys that I was like, this guy's going to be amazing. This guy's going to be the best guy on TV. And then they turn the camera on and they're like, they're not as great as you think they are. So, and it's not easy, man. Like when you're there and you have to talk baseball and you got the camera on, Props to you because everyone thinks it's so easy because you play baseball and you're there and talking. It, it's a whole different world. The TVs and like this is like legit production. It's it not is. easy work. It's not. It's not. But I I, I appreciate I appreciate what you said. Um, but I, I approach it like I played, and and Slav can attest to this. I I show up and I try to prepare as much as I possibly can. Um, I, I I don't have a good memory like Chuck and and your dad and all these other guys, I have to prepare and I have to just read stats constantly. But, um, but again, I'm, I'm really grateful for the opportunity. Uh, I enjoy it. I've had fun with it and, and uh, hopefully, 
I won't screw it up too bad. So I, can, I, can, I can hang around for a few more years. There's very few guys who are just like pure naturals. They get in front of a camera the first time and then they go and they're just great. Even Ozzy Sr. was not at the beginning like baseball tonight and doing that. You know, he kind of he did a little color and, and was able to kind of sprinkle it in before he became who he is now. Um, and pods to your to your point, I think in all my years producing and all the sports, all the different analysts, former players that I've worked with, I truly do think you prepare as hard or as much as any that I can think of, like coming up with topic ideas, you know, or you might, you might notice something and ask, Hey, can we look this up? Like, is there a stat that can like back up what I'm, what I think I'm seeing? So credit to you. I mean, you work your ass off and you're really good at it. And you know, the three of you guys, when you guys are all together, it's just such a great show to watch. Well, Thank, thank you, Slava. I, I appreciate that. Uh, it's, I have fun with it. And it's that approach comes from my dad. My dad worked his tail off growing up. And, uh, and that's, I, I just, it's the way I approached my baseball career. I, I didn't want to leave any, take anything for granted. And I didn't want to leave anything to chance. And uh, yes, I, I, I drive myself crazy preparing, but, I, and I and I try to instill that in my kids to uh, to try to go in as prepared as possible and and just to be grateful for the opportunity and don't take anything for granted. Uh, Pods, this is the last bullet for me. I just want to say uh, thank you. It's been a dream come true. Actually, talking to a World Series legend. Never thought in a million years I would be able to have this conversation with you. So I just want to thank you for joining us, um, Jake Berger hit another home run tonight off of Clayton Kershaw. Mm -hmm. And a lot of Sox fans want Jake Berger batting in the upper third of my order every day. Do you think that he's built for that type of responsibility or he's better off being stashed lower in the order? Yeah, it, it's tough to answer that question now. We we don't we don't have a big enough body of work from him just yet. Um, you know, if you start throwing him in a position how is that going to wear on his body? You know, when you start getting fatigued towards the end of the season, um, the biggest thing about competing in the big leagues day in and day out is dealing with the adversity. Once you go into a slump, learning how to pull yourself out of that slump. Uh, and, and it's tough to find out who guys really are, you know, in a month yeah. in September and August, when your body starts getting tired and you're, you're worn down mentally and physically, Will he be able to come to the park, prepare, and then be that same guy that can produce day in and day out? We don't know yet, you know. Um, so it's 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 tough to answer that question. So far, he's been unbelievable in in, yeah. in this you know in, in this early part of the season, um, and and quite frankly, he's almost carried this offense there for a stretch um, when they were kind of cold. Uh, if I was Jake Berger, I would be working tirelessly this offseason on my footwork, on my speed to try to – on my lateral speed agility. We need to find him a position, whether that's second base, third base. Um, I would I would start talking to uh, strength and fitness guys, and I would seek out a an infield guru. Uh, I would be working to, to, uh, to try to improve my defensive skills because so far his bat plays – uh, we just need to find a position for him. 
Paz, last question for you. Um, thank you again for all your time. Appreciate you jumping on with us. You know, we, we've talked ad nauseum the last few seasons with this White Sox team about leadership in the clubhouse specifically and from the players. Because, you know, when you ask Ozzy Sr., the leader of the team should be the manager because that's his personality. That's that's who he was. Take us back to your time as a player, and then now what you see. I know you know we're we're not in the White Sox clubhouse, but we we've talked so much about this apparent lack of leadership from inside the clubhouse from a player with this team the last few years. Who were some of those guys, or you know, teams that stood out that had great leadership, or specific players that you played with that kind of exhibited that leadership? Um, I guess just in in a broad sense. How important is it to have that type of guy or that type of clubhouse culture of leaders to be a successful team? I think any championship club has to have those guys present. To win a championship in any sport, I believe you have to have accountability. There has to be a bar set. There has to be a standard set. This is the way we are going to go about it. And anything below that bar is unacceptable. And look, there's 162 games. It's a long season. Guys get tired. Sometimes we don't, you know, you catch a guy taking a playoff here or there, taking a pitch off. Um, You have to have guys that are going to remind that person, hey, that's not how we do things here. We are going to give our all day in and day out. And this is the way we're going to do this. This is unacceptable. I think you have to have, have those guys. Um, when you walk through that clubhouse, um, you know, it, it, you've got to have guys willing to do things daily it takes to win. Um, and that was what stuck out to me about that ball club in 05, which was different than, you know, the two previous seasons when I was with the Brewers is there was, there was an accountability there. There was, we, um, everybody knew their role and everybody, I felt like we had a group of men that that showed up and prepared and and went about it the right way. That's uh, and 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 I think I, I do agree with you with you there. It, there seems to be a lack of leadership going on within that clubhouse. There's 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 some things that have happened that shouldn't be happening um, at the big league level with this ball club. Is it fixable? I, I I do think it's fix, fixable. It's uh, it, it's a culture thing. It's it's an attitude. It's a mindset. It's uh, it, it's the it's the way the the organization is going to do things. And I think that has to even start in the minor leagues. But there has to be a tone set. There has to be an expectation. And anything below that is unacceptable. And everybody has to buy in. Now the art of the manager relaying that to players and holding players accountable without losing the clubhouse. That's an art. And some guys are good at it. Some guys aren't. You have to understand personalities. You have to understand how to motivate guys. You have to know um, what may something, what what might work for this guy won't necessarily work for this guy. Um, I'm, I'm intri- I'm intrigued by that, by, by that human behavior piece of it, because 
you know, when I played, Ozzy Sr. and I talk about this all the time. Back when we played, guys didn't wear their hat backwards. Or guys during batting practice didn't have cut-off sleeves or, or not wearing socks. Um, we wore our hats the right way. We wore our uniforms the right way. And it was because of it was it was it boiled down to discipline. If if you if you're disciplined in these small little areas here or there, then that's we felt like that's going to carry over to the game. Whereas I believe the opposite is true. If you lack discipline here, how do you expect to just show up onto the field and be disciplined? I just don't believe it it, it happens that way. But there's going to be, you know, I've talked, I had this conversation with, with other former players, you know, telling a club to turn their hats around the right way. Some guys aren't going to like it and, and, you know, you're going to lose them, but there's a way to do it. And that art of, of getting those guys, you know, to buy into what we're doing here. Um, Cause the socks, some Sox players wear their hats backwards on the field prior and, and your dad and I just hate it. Your dad and I, we, we talk about it all the time. It's a discipline thing. I know the game's changing. I know times are changing, but I, I think it's just little details like that, that you stay sharp in. You, you kind of just hone yourself night in and night out with these little acts of discipline. And I think those carry over to the bigger picture. Scotty Pods, you are the man. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you joining us. Um, you're grateful to have you on. When are you back in town uh, for some more pre and post games? July 4th. Oh, so, the holiday weekend. Scotty yes. Pods back in Chicago. So listen, Stop, so enjoyed talking ball, man. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, let's do it again, but maybe a little earlier next time. <laughs> yeah, we'll, let you, we'll do a special <laughs> We'll let you go get your beauty sleep and let you break uh, break 80 again tomorrow. Hey, appreciate it, fellas. Y'all have a good night. Enjoyed it. Thank you, my buddy. Thanks, Thanks Scotty Pods. Thanks. That Thanks, was awesome. Pods. And we got the the real Scotty Pods, and he loves Slav. And, you know, that's – he is probably one of the it's most – It's mutual respect. Most, no, that's what I'm saying, though. But I'm saying, like, it's Pods is a player that he was never the loudest, uh, never the most quiet. He, he just went about his business the right way. And what he was talking about, the hat. I think the hats is symbolism. Okay, when people say I don't, we don't like players wearing their hat backwards, or or we don't like players doing this. It's, that's just a symbolism of whatever they're talking about about the word that he used, discipline. Okay, because you could walk into a lobby of a hotel and see that a player had been parting his balls off, but you would not tell that player go to bed, go do this, just because you expected that player to be in the stadium working out his ass off, regardless of what was going on. You expected him to show up. You expected the, the funniest story we have is with, with the with the AJ Brzezinski fight, okay? Where AJ's famous for the fight, but he didn't really even throw a punch. The guy that gets into it is 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 Pods, who wasn't even a part of it. And he was the one that kind of like went and that was a side of Pods that the team had never kind of seen of him. And but that's who he is because he is that guy of like expectations of showing up every day and working very hard and you know putting in the work and working in the outfield and being out there with, with Joey and Grit Walker and Ozzy and working on Bunny and how can I get better? I think that level of like, that's why he was in the big leagues for so long. That's why he's had success. That's why he's on TV, but, but that discipline. And, and I think that this team, we can learn something from that, that you can have fun and do all that fun stuff as long as you have discipline. And those are the little things like we're not hating on the bat flips and we're not hating on doing all, but we're, 
those little things cannot carry over to like not running the bases. Like right now, we're watching the game. They're down right now, 4-2. They used to throw a ball from the outfield after a Clevenger injury. They threw a ball from the outfield that passed five players, and the pitcher wasn't even covering the back. Like the ball just literally trickled. The shortstop is made up. Those little things in the game to be a winning team, discipline is huge in the game of baseball. And I think in any sport, the discipline of you can have fun, but as long as you're disciplined and having those habits, you're going to be a better. And he's he's a great player that represents that. A guy that had fun, a guy that had charisma, a, a guy that fans love to watch him play. It was exciting, but he had that discipline every day, day in and day out. So I'm glad that we got him on because he is a representation of that team, of what Ozzy wanted to build, of what's right with the White Sox. And he's probably one of my favorite people uh, that Ozzy ever got to be uh, managing. We have a great friendship uh, even now afterwards because he's just he's just a real dude. He's yeah, an awesome, feel- awesome guy. Go ahead, Gonzo. Yes. The like near the end there when for me it was really more. Berger so just tied it with another two run over. This is <laughs> his kid's unreal. Sorry, go ahead. It was did more he, so- did he do it? He just yeah. hit his second home run, tied the game. After I'm, I'm, del- I'm, wow. I'm, del- I'm, I'm, I'm delayed. I'm delayed. But by the way, that's. I, the discipline, guys. Again, yeah, Burgers probably has the best discipline on the team. For me, it was just at the end there with the talk being more focused for me. What I learned out of it was really more so professionalism, which is a, la- a lost art You're of the game. You're backwards right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I ain't out there playing the game, man. Come on, totally dog. different. My day job, I have to have that professionalism and be sharp on it. Oh, but, so you uh, can just be a slob on our show? Jesus. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, just a, a lost art of what, you know, was America's greatest game, and now it's just solely based on the entertainment side of it that we're just losing that art of the game, and it just that pure focus of entertainment is just taking over every aspect of the game, it seems. Um. Pods is one of my favorite people to talk to, period, let alone like f- talk baseball with. I love the way he thinks about the game, but I love the way he thinks about life. He's a very cerebral dude, like very um, reflective. Like he he's constantly like thinking his actions and how they reflect, you know, people's perception of him and what it means to, like for him as, you know, talking to him about being a father, like just fucking awesome guy. Uh, so glad he was able to join us and we'll definitely have him back on again. Uh, the one thing we didn't get a chance to ask him about was um, something that was on the radio recently, some comments that were made about Pedro Griffol and about the future of the White Sox. And we'll get into that coming up here now on Griffol's Grounds. <laughs> have a problem making decisions I don't have a problem making a call on a you know on a on a pitcher I don't have a problem making a call on, on you know on whatever our team needs at this particular moment so Bob Nightingale was on 670 the score this week uh doing an interview talking both Cubs and White Sox and he was asked about um, Pedro Grifol and, you know, in general, this White Sox. And he made some very interesting comments, basically kind of, I don't want to say he threw Grifol under the bus, but in a way it was very, the way he framed it was, you know, Tony La Russa, he kind of joked, he deserves a plaque for winning with this team, um, which 
it is kind of a good point. However, he kind of threw Griffol under the bus, basically saying like he hasn't done squat. The Sox need to blow it up. Blah blah blah. He wasn't necessarily wrong. I think it was just kind of um, jarring to hear a national baseball guy um, kind of disc Griffol. Uh, what, what were you guys' thoughts about what what well, Nigel had to say? I, I'm I'm gonna go first because number one, the meat. You love the, Pedro? No, 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 no. I'm not saying no because I was one of the first people that said that you cannot blame Pedro for this team not playing well this year. Like, and he, I think he, everybody agrees with that. I, do, but I think that, but I think that what Bob Nightingale is going after. Okay, he was going after the front office. He was going after the media. Nightingale has a lot of friends in baseball. Okay, Nightingale has a lot of friends inside of the Chicago White Sox. So we don't know who gave him that tidbit to go out there and say what he said, sending out the message. We know that Griffol was the general manager's guy. Maybe not necessarily the chairman's guy. Marketing, the media, the fans, Griffol himself. Okay, Griffol himself. He did not take the job and just went and be a manager without making comments. He had a press conference where not only him, but him and the general manager went on a marketing campaign, okay, supported by the media throughout all of spring training. So you have three months of the team going every single day. It, it, this team is amazing. It's so much. It's so different now. Griffol, you know, Griffol's walking on water. Players are doing this every single day, every single day, every single day, every single day. So now you look back and you're like, wait, this guy has done nothing. And, and meaning nothing, not positive, not negative. Like he has zero impact. On this team, I think now everyone is looking back, guys like Bob Nightingale, and saying, "Where are the receipts?" Okay, you you made all these, you made a list of like fundamentals. You know, we're gonna do this. Like you literally gave people all the the, the jokes that you're gonna make, like the long list. It's it's embarrassing because he literally went out there and his his press conference sounded like what Bruce Bochy's press conference would be. Like Bruce Bochy came from kicking people's asses in his previous teams, so that's why I think people want to take his names. I don't think that Pedro Grifol is the wrong manager, and here's why. The Chicago White Sox are going to fool everybody that might not know about baseball, but they might have not. They might have known that this team was not as good as they made it out to be. And I don't think that a, guy, a lot of guys like Ozzy Guillen, uh, Buck Walters, Ron Washington, Bruce Bochy, guys that have a hardware in their house, would have sat there through a rebuild and lied about players being good. Okay. So it was like, let's bring Griffol in. If we do well, great. But if it's not good, we have our manager for the next three years and we'll have the wave. Why? Because number one, Pedro Griffol is not a baseball, not a bad baseball guy at all. I think that he actually brings the energy and he actually is putting the work in. And he is having the same growing pains that every manager has their first year. The difference is that this first year manager, we were expecting him to be in the playoffs. If, if it's like if Ozzy Gene would have had those expectations in 2004, everyone would have been like, "Oh, Ozzy melted in August, and the team didn't do good." And look at Ozzy making all these. No, Ozzy didn't say anything. It was like a one year, like, "Hey, don't go." You know, it's not a big deal. But once, no one thought Ricky sucked until the team was supposed to win. Same manager. Thanks. No, no, same manager. Never lost the clubhouse. He started. He was making moves, and you're like, "Wait, what the like?" And again, managers make bad moves. Terry Francona, two days ago, hit Arias versus a lefty when he's hitting like 110 versus them. Like managers fuck up. Like it just happens. Like it's baseball. But I think that the nine gill was just making a, a, a statement on we're tired of you guys overselling. And even Pedro's kind of taken back and been like, Ooh, like maybe I shouldn't go out there and like sell myself so hard. 
because I really think that for, for his sake, they really should trade players at this point. Because if he is going to rebuild and guys like Jake Berger are going to, you know, grow up, grow up under Griffo, I hope that Jake Berger gets paid for three years and not another manager, even if it's Ozzy, even if it's whoever it is, me, Slav, you. These players have already on like their fourth manager. They have more managers than years in the big leagues. It's, it, it's not going to work. So I, I completely agree with, with what he said about he has done nothing. But I don't think it's been bad. Like he has done something negative. Like, I don't think if there was another manager, maybe the team might have been playing better. But who knows? Because at this point, they're just underperforming Yeah. once again. And then think about this, OJ. Like, this is the same exact roster that you had last year. How many players do we have that can move the needle? My mom knew this from day one. Every single thing Ibis Guillen said that was going to go wrong and why the job would have been bad for Ozzy other than the money is exactly happening to Pedro. Like, literally everything that she wrote down on the negative list is happening to him because exactly what you said right now, the roster is the same. Okay. You have the financial constraints and nothing's changed, but it goes back to everybody in the media and the fans thought that well, the problem is Tony. He's just old and boring. And Rick and, and Rick goes back to, if I would have picked the right guy, this team would have been better. And it's starting to realize I have a question. What happened if TA is not a superstar? What happened if he's just a good player? Like, he's not a superstar. He's just a normal – again, there's Don't let King back here, that. Hold on. There's levels to this stuff, man. There's levels. To <laughs> My father played for 14 years. He was a good player, not a superstar. I don't think T.A. ever a was a superstar, to but be perfectly he, honest. But, but I'm saying, though, but we thought that he was. He went to Team USA. We thought he could be. I don't. Yes. I, I don't know. I mean, I I personally never labeled him a superstar. I think he was a potential face of the White Sox, a potential one of the potential faces of baseball. But since he won the batting title, his numbers have declined slowly. He's still been. He was very good for a couple of years, but he's been hurt a lot the last couple of years too. I, I mean, since since the big home run in Iowa, which you know was kind of like that's going to be the crown moment will, of his will, career. Will, his, will, will that be his Scott Pitsenik home run World Series moment? More than yeah. like, I mean, I if he stays not. with the White Sox, if he stays with the White Sox, yes. If he leaves, then there's potential that he can have a well, bigger gonna, by the moment way, he's in gonna, his career. He's going to be great in any other team that he goes, just like he was for Team USA. Because, one, they might move him from to another position, like second. And better for him, he's not leading off. Okay? He's hitting probably seventh or eighth and just getting, like, little, you know, shots, like, of meatballs. And he's probably, he probably can hit 25 home runs. Uh, that's why I think he'll improve in any other team that he goes. Uh, again, the the – the situation that he has and the way that he is, that's that's something that has to be dealt with. I think that his value is there. I, I blame everything on the injuries. I think that his legs, the problems that he's had on his legs, I saw a graphic that somebody posted on Twitter of all the injuries to his legs that he's had. When you lose your legs, man, especially a player like him, that's tough. So, But I think yeah. that he's a guy that in Chicago, I don't think that we didn't think that he was a superstar, but I think just like Moncada, like all these players that fans think that they were going to be like Frank Thomas, and they're not. Like Jay Berger, if Jay Berger's like a like a Joe Creedy type of level player, I think they would be happy with that because being a superstar and being like a you know a Manny Machado, like a Bryce Harper, like guys that are like in that top echelon, it's not easy. Like we, you get those guys maybe once in a blue moon, and that's what's scary because every single time, like where is Oscar Colas, for example? Like everyone said he was going to be amazing, this top prospect. Like he's no, no one even talks about him now. Baseball's hard, man. And I think that's what Grafal's learning real quick. 
and what Nightingale's bringing up of like this are it this team's issues are a lot deeper, okay, than what people thought they were with Tony La Russa and they blamed the old man and it was an easy scapegoat. And and Griffo, he's not bad, he's not good. He's just kind of been like whatever because this roster is not very good. And that they put yeah. him in this position to fail basically because by doing nothing to your roster and simply changing managers and we've talked about this before you're basically telling your fan base it's it was the previous manager that that caused this roster to fail and now well, they added when in, ooh, okay look you know him and his 267 average and 335 obp great and zero home runs um benatendi's not even close to Damn. the problem with this team He's not even close to the problem with this team. When you basically say we're going to keep the same roster and the manager is going to get more out of the guys, you are setting that manager up for failure because if the team is who they are, which I think at this point we have enough of a sample size to know the White Sox as currently constructed are not contenders. They are, they are not. When you now have a manager, a second manager, a third manager with mostly the same roster and they're not succeeding – it's because of the roster, not because of the manager. It and that, that's what Rick Hahn, that's what Rick Hahn has put this 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 franchise into, and the perception of of the manager is going to get more out of the same team. Clearly, it's not worked. Well, it's it's and it's fun, and it's ironic because it's like you always learn from like your mistakes in the past or like what worked. When Ozzy was brought in, okay, prior to a World Series, prior for him being like you know who he is now, Ozzy was a coach that had had success with the team, but no managerial experience. You kind of just knew that this guy had played and they were like, dude, this guy's young, he's vibrant. In the time he was considered analytical because the things that the Marlins were doing were kind of ahead of, of everyone. shocker again, the White Sox were behind what everybody else was doing back then. And they bring this guy that's like vibrant, like he's Hispanic. He's gonna bond with like Mad Leo and Carlos Lee and like, you know, there's a bunch of Latinos. How did that the work team. out? Like, no, I'm saying though, like literally, like literally, like you you put things side to side, and it's like literally the same storyline. Like he's a Latino young guy that's like bilingual, and he's gonna come in and be like, you know, other than the fact that Griffo did not play for the White Sox, very similar kind of like hiring process, a couple different things. And Ozzy does exactly the same thing that Jerry Manuel does. The only difference is that Ozzy is now telling Jerry and everybody, these guys are wrong. Like, I'm not sitting here with these guys. Like, I, if you guys want me to keep managing here, you got to get rid of this guy. You got to get – and they listen to him. But they made the same mistake of saying, like, okay, well, the roster's the same. Let's just bring in this guy. He's going to manage him to success. And they and he basically said, hey, we need to change the culture because these guys are great players, yet they're not great uh, – they don't play well together. And we need – you know, we need this, we need that. And they listen to him. So with Pedro, you know, we don't – he got to bring in – so hopefully this offseason or even now – Pedro's kind of letting them know what this team needs because he does have the knowledge as a baseball man. And, and I think that he gets blamed for the Ben attendee signing because they happen to be together in, in Kansas city, but we don't know that maybe that, you know, maybe it was Rick and Kenny that really wanted him. And he was like, Oh yeah, he's not going to say anything bad about the guy. It's not his money. Right. He's like, yeah, give him 75 mils. But, oh, is this sloth worth 75 mil? Yeah, of course. He's my guy. He's my friend. Why wouldn't I say, Please. no, 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 don't get, don't give soft 75 mil because he's going to, no, you don't do that. So I think that, he needs to be involved in those conversations. Whatever, I think that whoever comes in as a next general manager in the part, we're going back to the Bob Nightingale comment. I think now for the first time ever, I think that Rick Hahn's job is in jeopardy. Okay. Because this hire, I don't know this for a fact. 
I really don't know this. The only thing I know is that Kenny Williams was not in Ozzy Guillen's interview. Okay. But I do know that Kenny was the one that said the old man wants to talk, wants us to interview you. He kind of was in there and he was part of the process, but he never interviewed him. So I don't know if Kenny was, I want somebody with experience and he was more on the Jerry side. And then Rick was like, I want this guy. And they let Rick have his way. And now they're saying, okay, you had your way. This is not working. It's on you. So I don't know if Kenny said, okay, I'm going to stay with Jerry and now I can fire this guy and I'm safe. I don't know what he, what side he's falling on, but from the comments that Bob Nightingale made, I think for the first time ever in all of this, because I thought Rick would be clean, that he, nothing was going to happen to him. I think now that there could be some movement in that position if this gets a lot worse and they'll let somebody else make the moves to like improve this team moving forward. Yeah, for me with this whole Nightingale topic, um, I can't really blame either either of the three managers just because I know from the right there after Ricky, they, they jumped the gun a year too early. They didn't get any more out of their court past one year. They just finally set their minds on them, went with it, said they were ready, and they went to that next stop with Tony LaRusa telling him, we are ready to go, we're, we're competing when it was just way too soon. And on that, you know, I slowly focused my name on Han just because it seemed like ever since th- that moment, he was so complacent with with his core and everyone else was zoned in with it that, look what happened ever since. You know, he hasn't added to the needs. He hasn't, re- you know, replaced it. When we did our own breakdown a month ago and we had the same issue with the same set of needs for the past three years. Not only that, but I think one of the biggest things OJ said last episode was, where is your three to five year board? Like I see no growth and development from your minor league system. You're not bumping guys up to get growth out of them and, and really bump them up to where they need to be, to be that those replacements to be here for this contention window. Like it's just a mess. And now the biggest question is, Again, is TA, are you going to extend him? Are you going to move him to second base? Are you going to trade him for value? What are you going to do? And the longer you're going to wait on it, uh, you know, obviously in, in this series, he's not doing well, which is a team that would probably desperately want him. You're going to lose your value on him. And again, you're going to, I fall, don't, I don't. You're going to fall flat on your face like you did with Pito. And some of these guys you could have value with at the end of their contracts if you weren't set on them. Like, it's just disgusting at this point. And, uh, I agree. Han is, he should be on the hot seat. Like why, why isn't there not more heat on him from the media? Like it needs to be there. That's, that's good. That's fired up Gonzo guys. I don't know if you, if this translates on YouTube or on the podcast, if you're listening right now, that's Gonzo pissed off. That was good. Gonzo, are you going to be mad if they fire cats with them too? They say you're out of here too. If they clean house, no, you'll be okay. Really? And then yeah. you're just gonna be you're gonna be little cause... baby baby cats by yourself. Gonzo's gonna be the pitching coach after. Gonzo, <laughs> by the way, <laughs> but, but, hey, you, you know what though? It, it, again, he's had he's had success. And, and here's the part that's interesting though: when you're talking about Tim Anderson, because we did the breakdown, we don't have anybody like that that, that can sign. And I'll be honest: if the doctors think that Tim is gonna fix their problems and move uh, Miguel Rojas and his defense. For Tim, Tim's offense is not way better. It, it, I don't, it's just scary to them to do that. But like looking at the future and saying, well, we don't have a second baseman right now. Pretty much, we don't. Can TA be the second baseman? And how close is Montgomery to coming up? 
but we don't know how close Montgomery is coming up because it's like a magic, like it's literally, we don't know. And then it gets scary when you get guys like Colas. And this is why I think Rick's in the hot seat and not just Rick. I'm talking about Rick and everyone that's under Rick, like legitly, like you bring up Colas and it's like, what is this? Like, because we're getting sold on again. I'm, I'm now I'm talking like a, just a regular fan. We don't know what's in the minor leagues. So, you know, we had Fox there that we were arguing. He goes, well, Montgomery's a top 25 prospect. I'm like, a list is a list. Is he good or not? Like is because they have to make a list regardless, but is he a legit player that's going to come up to the big leagues at one point and like be good and like be able to help this team out because the guys that they have brought up other than crochet, because like when you see crochet on the mound, you're like, okay, this guy's legit. This guy's in the big league, even if you're struggling, but like to just grab one of your top pieces, like we, I was saying in the beginning of the show, Griffol and Colas are going to grow together and be like this team, you know, that's going to be his guy. We weren't even talking about Jake. Jake was like a, oh, get him in the flea market section over there on clearance. They didn't even let him break camp with the team. And he is now becoming like the guy that's like, man, maybe Berger maybe should be playing first base or, or third base or the DHing. He just came out of nowhere. So that's the part where it's like, wait, did they even know that Berger was going to be this good or are they just getting lucky? Like, is this like, is it like, oh man, Berger's good. Okay. I guess we'll put him in the mix because it looked like he was never in their plans. And that keeps on happening consistently. This guy, Santos, I don't know where they got him. The guy that just pitched today, like you, they'll they'll call guys up from the pen. You're like, wait, why is this guy? Why didn't they use this guy? Why did they give this guy $40 million? Then you should have used this guy for free. So I don't know like what their board looks like. And that's where I think Nightingale and again, we're gonna make fun. Of, we're gonna we're gonna make fun, and it, it it goes back to like you think it's bad, but then you see what happened in Oakland, and people are like reverse boycotting, and they're going to the game, and they're throwing garbage on the field. Like it, it, we think it's bad. It could get worse. Like it could get like way, way worse. And OJ, I want to add real quick because when Liam Hendricks went to the IL, they brought back Tanner Banks, which is three lefties. So if a righty goes down, why don't you bring up a guy like? Crowen down in Charlotte. And try, I'm trying out on fire. Bring him up. He's yeah. a righty. Bring him up. Why are you going to three left? We already saw what Tanner Banks has. Bring up Cronin. I, obviously, I know we heard from last week from Dan that he's the analytics kid with his stuff, but the stuff is great. Like, bring give him a shot to prove himself while you still can. Like, it just does, it's so frustrating this, that this we, year, we we gave those chances to Carson Fulmer. I think that well, well, but 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 that was when they were bad. But I'm saying like this year right now, we're I think bad a huge opportunity. No, I'm saying though, again, <laughs> they're not they're not great. But I'm saying you're still in the race. Yeah, whatever. Like they're in the race, but like everyone's like we know we're in the race, but we're not really in it. This is a great runway to come and bring these guys up and say what do we have? Like these young players of like. Maybe there's a guy in the Miley's that can be like these guys are in, in Charlotte that can come up and be like, okay, if we're gonna lose, might as well lose with these guys. We're testing out and seeing if they're going to be able to be developed into something more in the future. Why? I'm really concerned with the Liam Hendricks guys because everyone keeps talking about the cancer, which what he did is freaking amazing. If he was a garbage man or was a homeless guy with no job, the fact that he beat cancer, that's just like in another level. To come back as fast as he did in a mental point, that's even crazier. But his body physically, no one has mentioned that. When you look at the time frame on how fast he came back, was it too fast? Like, is it too much strain on his arm? You know, did he want to come back too fast? Didn't they put – and you can't blame him for wanting to come fast. But, like, now I'm concerned of, like, man, did he come – 
Well, I'm just saying, like, is did he come back too fast? You can't blame him because the guys wants to get back into the field. But did the, could the team put a break on him and say, hey, you're going a little bit too fast? Is he hurt, hurt now, where he's not going to be able to come back now? For well, the good news is there's no structural damage, so it sounds like you know crisis averted for anything major now. How long the inflammation lasts, or how long you know before he can kind of resume throwing normally again? You're right, though. Long story short, they have a track record of rushing guys back a little too quickly. Um, and you can probably make the case that Liam did not get enough of a rehab stint slash ramp up slash, you know, like whatever spring training, so to speak, before he was kind of thrust into a role. And then in his third appearance, he's now in the ninth inning going for a save against yeah. the Yankees. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I feel you on that. Uh, I hope Liam's going to be fine. I, I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I'm hopeful. I, I think he's going to be okay long term. And you know, in in a way, it's as sad as it sounds. Like he might be your best trade chip at the deadline. Absolutely, because people are waiting. When they saw him throwing, and they were like, <laughs> "Whoa, this guy just came back." People. Everyone in baseball, because when you look at track record and guys that have done it, Liam Hendricks was Liam Hendricks before he came to the White Sox. Okay. He has multiple years of him being successful and doing it. So again, when people are like, well, Kat Crimble, guys like that, that have a name, they, people are, are, ah, there you go. Ponytail gang, like guys get to come in. Like they'll, they give them the benefit of the doubt in the game of baseball. Guys that are like on the other side, like Moncada guys that kind of had like one or two good years. Like they teams for some reason or not, they're like, eh, they won't give you more in return because they're like, well, this guy hasn't really proven himself. And again, the guy can go off and go somewhere else and just have an amazing career. But teams don't tend to go with guys that have not had that body of work when they rather go with somebody more of a veteran of a Hendricks, Joe Kelly, uh, Graveman. Like those are the guys right now that teams are looking at and having a lot of value in moving them unless there's somebody super young that the team's trying to rebuild. So they're going for like a, your top three prospects, which will be interesting. And, and I would love to see what Pedro Grifo, obviously, I hope that they're including him in the conversations that he is going to be here for the next three years. Like he has to finish out his contract. He has to, they, they cannot fire another manager. People are like, Oh, Ozzy Gian. I'm like, dude, do not wish that upon my father or anybody. If you care about the person to come manage his team, because your life is going to be, if you want to run Ozzy for 2026, 2027, run the campaign for that. But for right now, Pedro needs to finish the job and they need to stop switching managers and let the guy just do his work and see what he has. And because again, I think that they really need to really figure that out. And it goes back to again to the to the to the top bosses. All right, as we tape this socks up five four in the eighth inning, Keenan Middleton is your setup man right now. Um, bottom eight, runner on first, two down. Uh, it's the Jake Berger game so far again tonight. He's turned yeah. in three of the Sox five runs. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's wrap this up, baby. Up Southside Daily. Southside Daily. And I already said um, that. 
Slav is right. <laughs> we have a lead here late in the game, and tomorrow we're going to wrap it up with the pitcher's duel for the series, and it's going to be Dylan Cease versus Grove. And then the boys stay on the road, and they go up to Seattle, and it's going to be on Friday, Kopech versus Wu. Then Saturday, likely to be Giolito versus Gilbert, which I have a very heavy focus on. Love that pitching matchup. Um, and then Sunday's matchup is going to be Lance Lynn versus Bryce Miller. Bryce, again, as a pitcher for, or a, with my love for pitching, um, the rookie Miller on Sunday, I like to, I'm going to be really, really interested in that matchup. Um, and obviously, the uh, Julio Rodriguez, we all know who he is. Um, he's line is 241, 12 homers, 37 uh, ribbies. That's a good hitter to keep your eye on. Uh, Jay, you have anything to add with the trip in Seattle before we go come back home? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's always obvious to circle Julio on the docket, but guys like Ty France, uh, Caballero, uh, even Eugenio Suarez, you can't let the role players beat you. Obviously, Seattle has a whole lineup of guys you can pitch to. There's nobody that you can – you definitely got to execute. You can get these guys to expand the zone, but do not have Ty France jogging around your bases because he hit a three-run shot. That's just – uh, bad practice. So I, I think uh, this would be a good series for the Sox to get back to executing. Uh, scout reports is going to be uh, important as well. Um, I think just jumping to Sunday, Bryce Miller is going to get absolutely fucking wrecked, and Lance Lynn will get By back who? on the win. By the White Sox. Um, like the offense? Yeah, like we're like we're going to score multiple runs against Bryce Miller. He will oh, not so that leave counts as two. He's not going to leave the game. On no. The by, by, by the way, so I hope that the White Sox go ahead and let it go. So the game that I'm excited about, and I want to know why Lagos is excited about the Giolito one. It's probably like the most boring matchup of all times, like two boring pitchers going at it. But Lance Lynn, if you look at his line, and people are like crazy, if you took away the first inning against the Dodgers, he actually pitched really good. The, the over on the runs was like plus 11 runs. If you would have taken the under, like, you would have won. But everyone probably jumped on the over because they thought he was going to get shelled. He literally shut it down. Like, legitly shut it down. So, I want to see how he comes out in this start because, again, he's coming out facing a really good offense. His last two starts have been hard. I'm looking forward to him. But my only advice in Seattle is eat fresh sushi. Don't eat bad sushi. Never recommend it. That's the only greatest place to eat sushi, in my opinion. But got to be fresh. Uh, but I'm looking for my guy, Lance Lane, who disappointed me in – uh, his two starts again, but should they use the opener with him? This team's analytical. You got pitch oh. number four, horizontal, vertical. Come what do you on, think Gonzo pitching guy. I'm just being, hey, I'm throwing out there. You spring crochet in again. What do you, what, you know, this is an analytical team. We got, you know, horizontal, vertical. This team wants to be analytical. The fans would at least would be happy. Do you bring a guy in for the first inning? Let Lance go the second two? Like, well, the, the issue the is game? it looks like, like Mike Clevenger is hurt pretty seriously he yeah, left just, tonight's ball game uh you, you don't have you don't have the ability to now potentially you know use lynn or use an opener for lynn or like piggyback him it's not a bad idea uh the white Sox are never going to be at the forefront making decisions like that um before other teams do but it doesn't look good for clevenger I, I, from what he looked like over there, I will be texting a friend of a friend because I think 
I, they did not look good. That's when you come off after that, hopefully it's just a freak situation and nothing's really bad, but it did not look good, obviously, on TV. So we wish for the best. Um, by the way, this Middleton guy that just pitched, uh, let's keep an eye on him. Him as a setup guy. Don't know much about him other than the fact that he wears cool jewelry and hates the Braves, uh, hates the Astros with a passion. He's been pitching his ass off. But he has been. Look at those numbers. I'm looking at him. But again, since the bullpen is not as deep as it was with Liam's injury and all that, you cannot make him the opener for Lynn. I just think that if Lynn gets past that first inning, and again, we don't know if it's the actual first inning or if it's a fact that he needs to go around the lineup and kind of get going. Uh, because again, the Dodgers offense is really scary. He looked at times amazing when he was getting him out, uh, you know, struck out Mookie's right away and then kind of got in trouble with two outs. So again, we're, that's a big, because I think he is a trade bait. I think he is a trade piece, maybe not to a team that's like a contender, like the Yankees, but there might be other teams like in the middle of the pack that would like an extra arm for uh, St. Louis Cardinals, for example, that lack pitching to come in and get that support from a veteran like Lance Lynn. Yeah, and then the boys come back home to face Texas on Monday and what would have been Clevin Gerber's Haney probable. We're going to see if they're going to maybe call up a guy like Burke from AAA because Tuesday's matchup is Cease versus – Noah Schultz. Let's get Noah Schultz versus, starting. Uh, yeah. 29 pitches but, in the bigs. That's a, <laughs> on a pitch on a, on a, on a limit. Tuesday's going to be Cease versus Evaldi, so I don't think you really want to make it a bullpen game on Monday when you have Cease going the next day because Cease most likely is only going to get five or six in. So I don't think it's smart to go bullpen game. I think you have to try a guy, see what he can give you, and then go from there. Um, but is then, it, yeah. No Dunning? 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 Is he pitching in Chicago? Hey, is man, stop asking? trolling, man. <laughs> I'm asking if, they, if Dunning's going to pitch in Chicago. It's just a question. Could. I'm saying is he Relief pitcher, starting? possible. Is he starting right now? I don't know. I don't know. No, he's relief. Oh, nah, he's he, nah, he might just show up then for relief. I thought he I thought he was still starting for them. He started off the year starting, then he went to relief. Bruce Bochi was like, ah, this guy's not helping me. And then Garcia is their uh, their <laughs> hitter with Seeger, but Garcia's got two fifty eight, fifteen homers. 54 Gonzo, movies. his last his last five games have all been starts. Oh, really? Gonzo on the pitching getting. Oh, they brought him man. back. Yeah, he's he's made seven starts. I think his last seven starts. Am I going to have to text? What do we even do this segment for if you're not paying attention? By the way, am I going to have to text Ozzy Senior to text Bochi to give me the breakdown on Dunning? Oh, my God. What do you need? What's the breakdown? We know what he. We know who he is. We know what he's done. We know what he throws. Do I need to tell you, like, hey, we want Dunning to start in Chicago? That would be. That would be a typical night, like. Dunning versus Lynn in Chicago. Showdown, Dunning throws nine complete game. Oh, my God. That would be like the word. That's like – I that's killed my White Sox Twitter would totally implode. That's what I mean. It just be the entirely. craziest thing ever. By the way, so that Texas series worries me because that's a really sneaky good team. And I don't know how because obviously Bruce Bush is making moves. But their, their lineup looks exactly the same, yet they're like playing way better than they were last year. Well, Josh Jung, Jonah Heim, um, they've gotten some production. Adolis Garcia has been. You're good forgetting again. a guy. You're forgetting a guy. You're forgetting Simeon? a guy. You're forgetting no, I'm not. I'm you. not talking about. No, thank you. Know, you. We don't need no, that. No, we'll, we'll talk about that plenty. Yeah, it's fuck, man. All right, I'm gonna bring this. Is I'm just gonna say Ooh. real quick. Ooh. Everyone keeps Ooh. trying to dunk on this market. The my tweet about Marcus Simeon and and Corey Seager. Everyone keeps trying to dunk on it. By like the way, they're the only money, two dude. players on the, the on way, the fucking Rangers the way, who are doing well. Let's ignore money. the other nine guys uh, that they developed 
who are like, borderline all stars. Well, but God, so here's the thing, Slav. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna protect Slav on this because I got into the same argument with somebody. The only reason that they can afford, and people think it's because the guy's a billionaire. All owners are really, really rich. But the only reason that they can go and grab roster spots for two main players, like literally superstars, is because they've developed their own players to be around them that are still in arbit- pre-arbitration that they didn't sign to long-term deals. So the White Sox can't do that because they're young core players. They extended them. A perfect, a perfect example of the perfect example is what they're doing with Ezekiel Durant. He's supposed to be the shortstop of the future, but because you got Seager and Simeon in the heart of your diamond, he's playing left field now, and he's one of those borderline guys that, if you look at his numbers, he's he he could find his way on the All Star team if he guys, keeps we're worried about. Bats. By the way, we're worried about the big league team, and this is something that we need to really think about. We're not going to do it tonight because um, we're ending the show. But, like, we always talk about, like, who's going to be the big league manager? Who's going to be the big league pitching coach? The White Sox needs to start focusing on, like, we need to put our best coach and pay a lot of money to the guy that's, like, in rookie ball. And, like, start developing. Because when you look at the players that the Sox are developing compared to other teams, our numbers are just that much lower than everybody else's. That's just how it feels. Like, you look at teams and you're like, wait, who's this guy? Oh, they developed him. They got picked in the 15th round. Who's this guy? Oh, he got picked in the 20th round. And you're like, what the hell? Like, how come the White Sox, we can't find a right fielder? Like, legitimately, we can't find, like, two guys that can compete it out for right field. We can't have a catcher that's, like, at least on paper. There's two guys that are, like, battling it out. Every team that you're out there, like, you look at guys and you're like, man, they're, they're developing. The developing situation in the minor league system, whatever they're doing down there right now is not working. And they're worried so much about Griffol and the big – Nightingale should write an article on how the minor league system sucks and how they need to develop down there and – and do all this stuff, you know, and basically get players so that maybe one day you can go in and just spend all your money on one piece because all the guys that you have around your team, you know, are, are homegrown guys. And that's something that was they were able to do in the past because the third baseman was homegrown, the center fielder was homegrown, you know, this guy was homegrown, and you didn't have to go get that many, uh, you know, three of the four starting, five starting pitchers were homegrown. So you really could go out there and get free agents uh, especially during Ozzy's era, but now it seems like those guys are not the guy, homegrown guys are not very good to play every day in the big leagues, and that's unfortunate because then your money are your money's constrained. All right, let's wrap this up, uh, yep. Gonzo. What are, what are our picks? Well, I'm sorry to say Ozzy, but uh, Dane Dunning's pitching Saturday versus the Blue Jays, so he's yeah. gonna miss he's gonna miss us. And that's um, it. Yep. <laughs> to go to the picks. Which before picks, by the way, Wednesday next week we're gonna have a live game feed for the game, so we'll be live Allegedly. for that third game. Um, picks, yes, Jay got his second victory of the year. Let's go! Wait, 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 what the fuck? What? With Braveman? How is that even possible? Your boy just got another RBI single. What are you talking about? The whole goddamn group text today. You're talking about fucking Aloy. Eloy Jimenez has definitely won it in that last at bat <laughs> to take the lead with Berger. Not only did he get think, a double, you he think scored. Eloy, wait, you think Eloy took it? I will Eloy log off this zero. goddamn show right fucking now if you give it to a goddamn relief pitcher who just got shelled in his last outing. Hey, might as well just give it to Lynn. By the way, just might as well give it to Lynn for having a good. By the way, wait, can I just take away Lynn's first inning and just go from no. inning two to inning six? It's not how it works. Well, for Graveman, it is. Yeah. Um, I, you got to read those numbers again. The the Eloy, the, 
Eloy right now, still before we answered, he got a double. This is great. And scored. Legitly. And that was my pick. So I was going to give the win. Then why did you change it? Because (laughs) because Graveman has two wins for his performances this past week. Gonzo, you are way too fucking smart to acknowledge (laughs) wins as a fucking statistic, especially for a relief pitcher. By the way, didn't he give it up and then got it back? What was that? In one, didn't he give up the lead in one of them? Yeah, it would have been three. It would have been three. That's minutes. what I mean. He gave up the lead, and then his team came back. If she, that doesn't mean it's a good win. It should be like he also win, he didn't get it. any wins in his last five appearances. So Whoa. I said in the two wins, he has his performances of a save and a hold. Jasmine, yeah, and so let's just ignore the fucking two thirds of an inning where he got shelled. I'm not ignoring it. I'm just saying, and out of those two wins, his performances. Aloy gets the fucking point. Aloy gets the point. You you picked Aloy. You get the point. I just I didn't know. I didn't want to give it to me. Jesus, you want to give it to a goddamn relief pitcher? But I didn't want to give him the. I didn't want to take the point based off of tonight's performance because I didn't you know fought me the entire we are we are I know for counting tonight's it. performance we're counting by it. the way I, so wait so, I didn't win so you did yeah, not win Jay. Jay you are definitely ah. not winning with a relief way, pitcher so, who got shelled quick question so if I pick Ben Attendi and he goes deep in the week that I pick him do I win that week automatically no no I'm thinking about it no. uh, yeah or, why or not fuck it. yeah I'm just saying Let, I'm just saying no 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 if if you pick Ben Attendee and he hits a home run, I'm okay. Even oh, if yeah. even if like my pick goes nine for twelve with eight homers, if Ben Attendee is your guy and he hits one home run, I will. So, I think so I, I'm on I board. Automatic win. What if I pick Ta and he goes yard? Oh, the the guy who won a batting title. No, you get no. nothing Come for free. On, man. <laughs> no, no. Do better. Pick better picks. I went with Graveman <laughs> and that wasn't enough. Clearly. <laughs> All right, Gonzo gets the point. You get the first pick. Uh, And apparently Aloy is off the board. Yes, Aloy is off the board. I'm going to go with Jake Berger tonight. Wow. Okay. Who gets the second pick? Uh, Jay. Uh, Well, I want to win. I want to win legitly. So I'm just going to go with Yoan Moncada. (laughs) I'm going to take Billy Hamilton. Oh, really? He got... He got like wow. A, um, all right, who do I who do I want? Yeah, he has got DFA today, Gonzo. Oh, I missed home. that. How do you? Yeah. Why are you? Even I thought on that this was. Podcast? I thought that was a joke. I thought that was a joke. No, no, he he, that, he really got let go. Dane Dunn and pitching relief is a joke. Can I pick somebody else from the other team? <laughs> you might have a better chance of actually getting a click. <laughs> Damn. Oh, the White Sox all of a sudden are up eight to four. I missed. They're I don't know back. what happened. They're back, baby. They're back. The White Sox uh, are all right, so fucking back. Junior, go ahead. You taking? You taking Benny? Oh, of course I'm taking Benny. <laughs> I'm going Benny out. Benny's going uh, deep, baby. Wait, uh, Slav, I was going to have you go before. Okay, but I wanted to see if if he was uh, picking Benny, because then if okay. he wasn't, I was. But I'll go if you're going with Benny. I will take. Uh, no, no, no. You can go pick whoever. You can go with Benny. No, no, no. I, I wouldn't. Else. I wouldn't have taken. I wouldn't have taken Benny. I'm gonna go with Andrew Vaughn. Man, no one. No one wants Grandal. He had some good at bats tonight. Maybe they should trade him to the Dodgers. Oh, again. <laughs> again. I've seen that movie before. 
So he'd get benched in the playoffs? Damn. I, I don't think they would want him. They have too many catchers coming up. Um, no, I will take Benny. I will take the little Benny. Oh, I love it. Oh, I love it. Just because here's the thing, though, because I think he's also going to get hit. So he's got to hit down the line. He's going oppo, yeah. you know. Oh no! If he go if he goes twelve for twelve with twelve singles, you don't get shit. He's got to hit a home run. Is that the it's first like, time someone picked Benny? Probably. No, I picked him. No, I picked him. That's why I've been fucking losing. <laughs> yeah, it's like. Benny's not even yeah Benny's Benny's uh we have a bet right now on on Benny's stats because he's not on he's on pace to hit less home runs than Ozzy Guillen which is not good okay um he's, he's I think Juan Pierre like, had more pop that's what I'm saying though so it's like he is <laughs> I think Nathy Perez had more pop but, but and he was not sold this way he was sold Perez. on he I think John on, Garland had more pop Burley went deep, guys. Burley went deep in yeah. Milwaukee. He was sold as a guy that, you know, was not a power hitter, which I get, but he would go deep once in a while because we play in a small field. It was uh, analytical. And what analytics was saying, and all of Gonzo's people were like, oh, he'll play in the, it's a small ballpark in Chicago in the summer that he hits it, the ball's going to fly. And, and it, it, I guess it's not flying for him. But hopefully this week it will fly for him with one home run. Um, because he has not gone deep yet, but he has had good at bat, so I, I I like him. And again, hopefully he starts running a little bit more. But uh, yeah, he's uh, he's seventy five million, seventy five million, seventy. Which million. is really not a ton of money in today's major uh, baseball. It's not, but for somebody like him, it is. Dan Pasqua, no, for somebody on the White Sox, it is. Oh, for someone on the White Sox, it is. But I'm saying, like, if I was looking at stats and how he would compare guys like Dan Pasqua, Mike Huff are at home, like, damn. Lance Johnson. Lance Johnson. I, I played in the a, wrong era. Lance Johnson's like, I played in the wrong era. I wish I could start a fist fight with Andrew Benatendi and Jerry and everybody else. Like, those guys were indentured servants at this point. <laughs> nice reference. Right. Damn. Um, Tell me how you feel. The pick star as is here on the screen for y'all. I'm going with the burger. Jay's going with Yo-Yo. Slav's going Vaughn. And OJ is going Benny. So are we gonna Vaughn, get, Vaughn's nickname is my beautiful baby boy. Wait, wait, is way. that Graven right now that's coming in? If he gives up a run, he should just be, lose a point for the week. No, but if, <laughs> if he gets the save, I win. Let's save it. They're up by more than four runs. Oh, you know what? You're right. I thought of, I forgot it was eight four. Yeah, what a bummer. All right. Let's any any final thoughts from you guys? Very happy that uh, obviously we have Scotty Pods. Uh, I like the fact that Griffol got thrown out in tonight's game. Thrown out, team makes a comeback. I like that from a manager. I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, hopefully we'll see it. Not very hard teams that they're playing, so they're grinding it out. Got to give them credit for that. And uh, Jake Berger needs to be an all-star. Let everybody know. He needs to be playing every day before that. Well, that's it's easier to be an all-star than have him play every day. And yes, Kendall Graveman is on for the save right now. I can't wait to have uh, Pods back on. That was a great conversation. I Just a great dude. It. Jay, final thought. Uh, I wish to pick the click to go better, but <laughs> I picked. I mean, I went with Yohan Moncada, who, who actually plays baseball according to y'all. So hopefully, I can win a week. Allegedly, he does. Uh, all right, great episode. That was a lot of fun having Scotty Pods on. Uh, shout out to him for joining us. We'll definitely have him back on. If you're listening, if you're watching, thank you so much. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Blackout Show. 
Shy, C-H-I, Facebook, Instagram. I think Gonzo's doing some TikTok stuff too. Uh, Shout out to Vision, dope show. Thank you for uh, for jumping on with us every week and and listening and watching uh, and commenting most of all and being a part of the conversation. White Sox trying to close this one out in L.A. Uh Uh-oh. Nope, can of corn. One down. Sox two outs away from a win against the Dodgers. Four, Chris Gonzalez. Four, Justin Targaryen. Four, Ozzie Guillen Jr. For Scotty Pods, I'm Slav Kobekovich. Thank you for watching, listening, and consuming The Blackout Show.